Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back. Ray Danger Glenn Mack now Saturday at noon on 94WIP. It's time for Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Well, Todd Harriman's was a fourth-round pick by the Eagles in 2005 at a little Saginaw Valley State College. For the next decade, he was a fixture at guard and tackle on a solid offensive line that helped the Eagles make the playoffs five times under Andy Reid and Chip Kelly. Stuck around the area, now lives out in Westchester. He joins us now. Uh, Todd, let's let's start at the beginning. You grew up in Ravenna, Michigan, little town, eastern Muskegon County, which I have heard you describe as an idyllic upbringing. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't have too much to compare it to. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's everything that I wanted in a, a, a hometown to grow up in. You know, it was a very tight-knit community. Um, you couldn't really get lost in the town. Uh, like one blinking red light. Um, cow pastures, uh, plenty of farms to work on if you need. Um and just, uh, you know, you go to the grocery store and it wasn't like a, the type of community where you wouldn't know anybody. Like you, it would be hard to go to the grocery store and get out of there without having to have a conversation with somebody. You know, that's the type of community that it was. <laughs> and obviously small towns are, are have, have small schools. And uh, I read about, uh, and I remember you talking about your high school uh, where your dad was a, co- was a football coach uh, and a teacher. Um, you only had... Is this is this correct? You only had 19 guys on the varsity football team? I, I mean, you were barely uh, yeah. one step up from six-man football, Todd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my senior year, uh, I think we hurt. We had some numbers hurt, um, you know, because of suspensions and stuff like that that happened uh, over the years. So uh, I think, yeah, my senior year, we had 19 guys on the team. And I just remember in practice, if we were practicing the running game, we would play, I think, without without corners or we practice without corners, and then in the passing game, I think we would be without uh, D tackles. <laughs> I saw a picture, and maybe this explains it, uh, of you in high school, and you appeared to be also doing the place kicking. <laughs> Is that true? Well, yeah. I don't know if that was necessarily out of a, a, a need uh, or because I was the best we had. <laughs> oh, so you're good at it. Well, I mean, I could kick it pretty far. I wouldn't say that I was consistent. I was a square toe kicker. Um, so, like, they had the old square toe that the water boy would run out onto the field. I'd change my shoe, kick the uh, extra point through if we weren't going for two, and then, like, run back to the 40 or whatever we kicked off from. And then uh, 
he'd run out because <laughs> I played both ways, and then he'd run out with my shoe, and I'd change my shoe, and then we'd be on defense. So, uh, yeah, you know, the more you can do. I even punted a couple of times. Wow. You really were versatile. None of none of this, uh, we never saw any of this here in Philadelphia. Did you ever volunteer your services? Yeah, if Akers went down well, or something? Yeah, you know, I was always available, but, you know, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, Simino was the kicker that one time? Yeah, Simino, yeah, Simino kicked a couple PATs. Yeah, I think that the uh, trying to get my shoe off in the NFL would have been a little bit bigger of an ordeal than Simino coming through with the soccer-style kick. <laughs> When you go, when you look back on on playing high school football there in in, in the small town on on the small school, um, I, I remember you referring to yourself as um, you were a little bit of a uh, slow developer. That it took it took you a little while. You obviously had the size and yeah. the kind the kind the coach was again the coach was at the kitchen table with you, so that probably helped. But but you said it didn't come naturally to you. You really had to work on it to to develop your skills as a football player. Yeah, well, I mean. I was a slow developer. Like I, like you said, I had the size. I never felt like I was a slow developer. Um, my dad would probably tell it better than I would. He he remembers, like, uh, baseball tryouts one year, and we had to run a mile, and he just said, like, I look like an unathletic, like, laboring kid that was just trying to get through this mile. And he said, you know, the next year, count, he said it was, like, this crazy difference. And I guess that was, like, my athletic puberty or whatever that I hit. But, um you know, I was never the fastest, never the strongest, but I feel like I had a good work ethic that was instilled in me. So if I had something I had to learn to get better at or, or you know, lift weights uh, religiously to get stronger or go out and do the work to run to get faster, I had the work ethic to deliver that. So I think that's probably um, attributes to, to what happens down the road, you know. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just it wasn't just football. I mean, you were you competed in, in, in a lot of sports in school. You were played basketball. You were on the track team, uh, but you also were a really good student. You were three seven GPA, uh, and you were involved in a drama club. And uh, I remember you talking about the fact that um, in school, the the high school production one year was Tom Jones, and you played the lead. So, I mean, <laughs> was that just because there were so few kids in the school that they didn't have enough to fill out the cast, or did you really want to be an actor? <laughs> um. I, you know what? That's kind of funny. I I just liked being involved in everything that I possibly could. I remember I was in Science Olympiad. I was in Math Counts. I was in Drama. Um, the only thing I really didn't dabble in, and I'm kind of kicking myself later in life, is like band and music. Because growing up to me, like the band was like nerd kids, you know. So um, I never got over that until later. And now I'm trying to learn piano, you know. But um I just think, you know, it, it was if I wasn't doing something after school, then I had to go home and like do chores or work on the farm by myself. So I'd rather be like with my friends doing activities and screwing around than going home and like feeding the cows or mowing the lawn and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. It's shoveling manure. Uh, right. <laughs> Todd Harriman's is our guest on Tell Us Your Story, longtime fixture on the Eagles offensive line. So, you went to a college that I don't know a whole lot of NFL players come out of, Saginaw Valley State University in uh, western Michigan. How did you end up there? Well, um, you know, like we were talking about, a small high school. Um, but when when these teams get – the colleges get word of you, like that you have 
an inkling of maybe playing in the NFL or not the NFL, but in college, then you get flooded with all these recruitment letters and stuff. So I spent like my junior and senior years of high school thinking I was going to go big time college, you know, D one somewhere and just play like big time football because those were the letters I was getting. And it wasn't even necessarily something I wanted to do. Um, I just kind of felt like it was the next thing to do. Like who would, who wouldn't have this opportunity and try to capitalize on it, you know? Um, so I went and I did a couple, like, I never did any official recruiting visits to the big schools. And I thought that was kind of weird, but I did have some, like, um, there was a couple like unofficial visits I did to a couple Mac schools. Um, and then I got friendly with one of the recruits there and he just kind of told me, you know, the word out on me is that I just went to a small school and the competition I was seeing wasn't fierce and I wasn't dominating like I should for the level of competition that I was playing against. Um, and I kind of was like, well, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, I took, I took that personally. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And that's kind of, I guess how I slipped through the cracks and ended up going division two. So then these division two schools started showing up around and, uh, you know, showing interest. And when they first started showing up, I was like, nah, no way, I'm going D1. You know, I was kind of like laughed at them. And there was a couple schools that were like, yeah, whatever. And they just hung around and put in their time. And I got friendly with them and comfortable with them. And and then it came down to these two Division two schools. One was Grand Valley State. It was basically right in my backyard, 20 minutes from where I grew up. And the other one was Saginaw Valley State, who was across the state two and a half hours from where I grew up. So, um, and that just boiled down to coaching staff. Uh, there was one coach in particular that recruited me. He was the offensive line coach. Um, he was just had a, a big impression on me in the, the early part of my football career. And um, that's why I ended up going to Saginaw Valley. Mm-hmm. Well, you obviously played both ways and played well in high school. Um, and when you go into college, were there, was was were they recruiting you as a defensive lineman or was or an offensive lineman? Because you played both, and you played both well enough to make all county, all district, and all that kind of stuff. Did they did they give you the choice of was there ever a choice on playing what side of the ball? Because most guys, if given the choice, would much rather play defensive line than offensive line. How is it you wound up there? Yeah, there was never really any. Um there was never really any uh, kind of during my recruiting thing. It was always the focus was on offensive line. Um, there was a couple like division three schools. I think I might've talked to that had talked about playing D line possibly for them, but you know, I just don't think I was uh, at that time as fleet a foot to be considered on the defensive side of the ball. And plus um, I think I was a little more, my attitude, I was a little more passive. So I don't think that people really looked at me as like a, a crazy, hungry defensive player. Um, so, no, it was always just about playing offensive line. And uh, I remember thinking like, yeah, fine, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, And really by the way, me. by the way, you did so well there and you are so loyal to the school that now there is a 4,700 square foot Todd Herman's family weight room uh, that you helped uh, build at your alma mater. So, so good for you. Um, so you develop there, you play well there, you make, um, some all-star teams, um, and little all American, and then comes the 2005 draft and everybody has a draft day story. We always love getting those. And yours is kind of 
Well, the draft day was the day after. Actually, the day after the long night, right? Yeah. Well, I was, yeah. There's, there was a draft day. It just wasn't the day I got drafted. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so through college, I made a lot of friends. I uh, had a pretty tight-knit group of, you know, the football players. So there was probably 10 of the guys that came from, that I went to school with that came back to my hometown where I grew up and we had a party at my house that I grew up in. Um, and we just had, you know, kegs of beer, good food, good time. Um, and we watched the draft and I never got drafted that first day. And so, you know, kegs of beer and more drinking and food. We went down to the bar, our little local hometown bar and had a great time. And then, uh, had a late night. Then the next day, the second day of the draft, which back then I think was two, it was, was it four or five? And yeah, I think or, one, two, three was the first day, and then the rest was right. the second day, yeah. Yeah, so we were all just kind of like laying around my house like zombies hungover. Um, and I remember my phone rang, uh, and I jumped off of it. Or no, I, I jumped on the call, and pretty sure it was Tom Hecker uh, says, hey, uh, Todd, Todd, how you doing? You know, um, I think we're going to make a trade up for you right here and get you. And, you know, I don't even think he introduced himself at first. And I was like, ah, you know, it just all happened really fast. But Mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself, like, I never even really talked to the Eagles through this whole process. So I thought that this was kind of funny. And so then he was like, yep. All right. The trade, the trade went through, uh, welcome to Philadelphia or something like that. It should be up on the TV shortly. And then I walked into the room and then it was on the TV, and then you know everybody awoke from their their their, their hung slumber, um, and we started back up again. <laughs> but I mean, everybody else did. I had to go and talk to Juan for a good forty five minutes on the phone to to start install. <laughs> you talked yeah. to Juan Castillo for forty five minutes on draft day. That's a that's a long conversation on draft day. He must have liked you. Well, it seemed like 45 minutes at a time. It's probably an exaggeration. But no, with Juan, I don't think it was. I think it was every bit of – knowing Juan, it was probably every bit of 45 minutes. It was probably the amount of time that they had until the next pick was going through, <laughs> um, which was actually Scott Young, I believe, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, so then Juan probably had to talk to him and get off the phone with me. But, yeah, that was crazy. Juan, he's sitting there trying to talk about inside zone with me and – my family's all in the other room, like popping champagne and celebrating. And I'm just like, what? You know, obviously listening, paying close attention, like anything that he said, <laughs> but at the same time wanting to get and like celebrate with my family. Sure. Had you, had you paid, I don't know how much you were, how closely you were following pro football back in those days. Did you have much of a sense of who the Eagles were? What, you know, what kind of a team they were, what kind of an organization you were joining? Yeah. I mean, so I was never a, a video game player um, growing up. But when I was in college, one of my buddies had, I don't even remember what the console was, but it was a game. And for some reason, I always would take the Eagles and play with Randall Cunningham <laughs> and the Kelly Green Unis. And that's that was just like my squad. Um, and that was what I knew about the Eagles. And I also knew that they were, you know, in the NFC Championship game for, I think, like four or five years before I got drafted and then they just went to the Super Bowl. So I knew of the success and the repeated success that they had had. So I was geeked. 
I thought, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to, you know, go back to the Super Bowl or we're at least going to be in a championship game every year. Like, boom. So Yeah, well, you uh, come yeah, in. I was excited. I knew about it. <laughs> so you, you, you're right. You come to a team that's coming right off the Super Bowl. Uh, your rookie season is 2005. And um, so, Todd, uh, you were inactive for the first part of the season. Then Trey Thomas gets hurt. And all of a sudden you go from watching on the sideline to starting at left tackle, uh, first game, November 27th, against the Packers. What do you remember about that first game? Uh, I remember it being against uh, Kabir Baha Biamia. Uh, good player. Um, yeah, KGB. Um, he was a good player. I remember being so nervous um, and having Juan hype this guy up all week long to me in my head. You know, I thought I was about to play a world beater. Um, he was a good player, not to not to discredit. But uh, after all the preparation and stuff, I just – I remember after the game thinking, like, all right, if he was as good as everybody gassed him up to be, then I can play in this league for a while. You know, because that season, I had already uh, – in the preseason, I played a lot, you know, because Trey was just coming off of uh, his blood clot thing. Um, um during the preseason. So he wasn't doing a whole lot of training camp. Um, and so I was taking, I think first team left tackle reps, second team, right tackle reps. And then I would go back over to third team left tackle. Um, so all through training camp, I got a lot of reps at tackle. So I knew that, you know, I was able to play, but at, at the same time, you don't know whether these guys that you're going into, especially starters, if they're really giving it, they're all in the preseason and stuff like that. Um, so this was like my first actual test, you know, uh, against somebody with an actual regular season game on the line. And I, I just felt like I belonged after that. There is a story, true or legend, probably built up way over the years. And I've heard it a little bit from the other party that there was a legendary practice fight between you and Hugh Douglas. Oh, true. Well, there was a fight. Legendary, probably in our own minds. Probably to anybody else that was watching, seemed like a pillow fight. But. <laughs> yeah, give give us a little background. Yeah, so it was maybe one of the hottest days of training camp, toward the end of training camp. Um, and like I said, you know, I was going left tackle, right tackle, back to left tackle, really not having a lot of plays off in training camp. Not that I was complaining because, you know, I wanted to be in the mix of everything, but you just don't get any breaks and you just get tired and you get pissed off. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, I, Hugh was at that point in his career where he wasn't really feeling like he should have to deal with any like young players, like giving them extra business or anything like that. And, you know, I was out there trying to give all the extra business and prove that I belonged and, you know, and uh, it was the end of the day. We're drenched in sweat. Uh, we had a, like a little team period, and um, I was a left tackle. He was rushing me over there, and I forget exactly what happened, but he rushed me. I pushed him back, you know, during the play and everything, and then I think maybe I smacked him. Or we, There was just pushing that happened after the play, and then it just kept going back and forth, back and forth, and, like, you know, we started, like, swinging at each other, 
And I remember I was holding his jersey, he was holding mine, and we were just kind of like hitting each other in the helmets with the slowest swings ever. <laughs> and then, like, I, I remember, like, thinking, like, ah, looking at Coach Reed and thinking, like, he's going to send somebody over to break us up. And then we, we both kind of just looked at him, like, tired and exhausted because he never sent anybody to break us up. Nobody broke us up. It must not have looked very dangerous. Um, and, so, and so he just looked at us and he goes, get over to the sideline, you know, to both of us. Just he <laughs> like, an old – you know, like he was just like disgusted by it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, the angry parent. Get over to the sideline. What are you guys doing? You know? And so we just went over to the sideline. Thank you. Good rolling, throwing, caught, touchdown. Wide. Eligible tight end right here. And he's going to block, block, block on Anthony Spencer. Get him out there. Spencer's trying to grab him. He knows he's trying to get out. And then Mike Vick hits him right between the seven and the nine. Maybe he just stuck. Well. That sound, that play you just heard described amazingly was Todd Harriman's catching one of two touchdown passes he caught as a year. He holds the Eagles record, the only offensive lineman in franchise history to register two touchdown catches, one from Donovan McNabb in 08 and that one from Mike Vick in 2010. Todd Harriman is our guest, uh, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Todd, we have a lot of your career to go over, but... That had to be that has to be a very cool moment for a big guy catching those touchdown passes. Um, you can describe one or both, but what do you remember about those plays? Uh, I remember them both. Uh, you know, they're, obviously they're the same play. Um, <laughs> we didn't have a whole lot of different options for me to catch the ball, but um, I remember all the times that we ran it in practice and never thinking that it was actually going to come to fruition. So that's one of the things I remember. I remember about being in, in Seattle on the very first one. Uh, I remember throwing Daryl Tapp on the ground cause he had me in man coverage. And so I just grabbed him by his Jersey and kind of like whipped him around onto the ground. Um, totally illegal. And then just kind of backed into the end zone and hoping that they didn't call it. Um, but, yeah, just really special moments. I mean, you know, offensive linemen don't – well, now they do. It seems like there's one catching one every week. But it didn't seem to be like a a very often occurrence when it happened to me. And one of the coolest things was just when it happened in Seattle, it was like the entire offensive line caught a touchdown. Because I'll never forget – I'll never forget as soon as I caught it and I realized that I secured the ball that I look over and all the offensive linemen popped off off the ground and just rushed over to me. And the excitement that we all had out there for each other, it was just uh, unmatched, you know, out of anything in my career, it felt like that one was for us. (laughs) And, uh, and it was just really cool. You know, a cool moment that I get to share with uh, two very special quarterbacks in the league, um, Donovan and Mike. Um, I just thought that that's, that's awesome. I, I really don't know what else to say about catching a touchdown. Is you know, things you dream about. Um, I'm just wondering, what, what Todd, what goes through your mind? You said that the play, you practiced the play, and you would kind of come to the conclusion, yeah, we're going to practice this, but they're never actually going to call it. And now, and now the play comes in from the sidelines, and now you know you're going to run it. What's going through your mind when they call it and you break the huddle and you're going up to the line of scrimmage? And you know this is the moment. I knew I was going to be open, but I didn't think that they would ever throw it to me. I didn't think Don, you know, he had other guys out there that were way sure-handed than me, although I 
caught every single one we ever practiced. But I just was like, there's no way that they'll take the chance in the game. You know what I mean? I just thought I'd be like a decoy out there taking up a, a, a body of man coverage or something like that. But, yeah, once, <laughs> once the ball, you know, it was so weird. Once the ball got in the air, it was like, I know I caught it like a loaf of bread in my stomach, but it was like, just do not drop this thing. <laughs> and then as soon as I did it, it was like, all right, do I have to, like, get my feet in? There was all these thoughts that went through my head. Like, how long do I have to hold on to it before it registers as a touchdown, you know? <laughs> so there was just all these, like, weird things that you wouldn't think about. And then it was like, all right, celebrate, spike the ball. And, like, I had so many different celebrations, especially for the second one. I had so many celebrations prepared that if I ever actually caught the ball in the game that I was going to do, and these guys that do these celebrations, they must just, it must just be another day in the park for them because as prepared as I was to do some cool celebrations, I couldn't like over, I couldn't control my emotions and without just yamming the ball down on the ground, like a big meathead, you know, that's like all I could do is just spike the ball. <laughs> so as a, as a young player coming into like your first couple of seasons, as you're breaking in, who are the guys who influenced you? Who are the teammates or the coaches who had an impact on you? Well, uh, Juan, obviously, um, Juan had a huge impact on me just because of the time we spent together. Um, also we we're both, division two guys you know he started his coaching career out in division two he played division two um he i feel like he i had a sweet spot in his heart because i was a division two guy so it was almost like if he was able to make me make it then it was like his accomplishment you know what i mean yeah um because he always talked to me about uh, Jermaine Mayberry, you know, Hey man, if Jay can do it, why can't you do it? You know, and that was always it. So he'd seen it happen and then he wanted to take somebody and do it that he didn't exactly coach all through college and do it. So, um, you know, that was just a, a an awesome relationship that I still have, um, still talk to Juan, uh, frequently. Um, as far as players go, uh, Trey and John both, had a really big impact on me um, from more of like a, uh, a mentoring position. Uh, they were both very different players, very different people, but they both had long success, you know, great careers and they were respected by everybody in the locker room, you know, um, but they both achieved it so differently, you know? And so I, I kind of was a study to both of them, and I don't, you know, I would say that if, if there was anything that I was as a presence in the locker room, it would kind of be a mixture of those two, just because that's how I spent my first couple of years. And then, um, you know, other than that, like Jamal Jackson was like my ride or die guy. We both started playing uh, the same year, starting next to each other. We were, we were in there, you know, battling through it all. We always felt like, uh, we weren't the pro bowlers on the offensive line. So we had to band together, you know? So uh, we went through a lot of games together. We kind of felt like we were the black sheep of the O line at times. Like we could take the brunt of the blame for a lot of things. Um, so we, Jamal was, was a, definitely a big influence um, going through all that stuff. 
you know, well. you you said that uh, they had drafted you to be a tackle, and you you had been a tackle, and you kind of liked the tackle position. But then it was obvious that with Trey and John there, they kind of had the tackle spots nailed down. So if you were going to play, you were going yeah. to play a guard. And when they moved you to guard, you know, you had said you kind of jokingly, only half jokingly, I think, kind of said you had a rather low regard for guards. Uh, when they told you yeah. you were going to be a guard, how'd you feel about that? Well, I was a tackle elitist, so I didn't like it at all, you know. Um, I never I heard that like term that before. One. I never heard the term tackle elitist <laughs> before. I didn't know those two went together, but it makes sense. <laughs> um, well, it's kind of funny because at, at that point when they asked me to do that, I had talked to Juan, and, you know, Juan loved big guys, but he basically was telling me, like, Todd, you know, I just want – athletes out there athletes that are big and can move and i think he kind of made me realize his ideal offensive line would be to have just a bunch of athletes out there that could play any of the positions and that kind of made me realize all right you know i'll I'll make this work you know (laughs) but it was a it was a big like you know, once I get myself comfortable with moving, you know, the idea of moving the guard, obviously it's the NFL and I'll move the guard if they want to. I wasn't going to say, no, I don't play that position. Um, but then they go and they draft Max Gene Gillis, who is this highly touted, um, you know, road grader of a guard, like actually played guard through his career. Uh, and I, they just moved me to this position. They drafted him and I was like, all right, so I guess what's the deal here, you know? Um, so that was just like another thing that I had to go through and realize that it was the first draft I was part of. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I just kind of made me realize that they're always going to be drafting people that are going to, that have to keep you hungry, you know? So that was, they moved me to guard and then they drafted this highly touted guy. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to be a guard, I guess I got to be a really good guard, you know? Um, so that was one of the realizations there. Uh, but yeah, Essentially, I came to the realization that guards are people, too, and that they're not <laughs> just big, sloppy, fat bodies that take up the space between tackle athletes that are also handsome. Todd, <laughs> Todd, Todd Harriman's is our guest on Tell Us Your Story. Um, Todd, I want to do a little word association. Get some names in here. Get your quick 10, 15-second off-the-top-of-your-head reaction, all right? All right. All right, let's do Andy Reid. Andy was like a father figure to my young adult life. Okay. Very much so. Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb. Uh, underrated. I, right. I just feel like he doesn't – I just feel like – and I know that this is Philly Radio, but I don't think he gets this, this, the respect he deserves for the success he had in Philadelphia. You know? All right. Uh, Brent Selleck, you guys had that good bar downtown. Actually, Ray and I hung out there one time during a snowstorm. What's uh, yeah. tell, tell us a little bit about Brent. Brent's, uh, well, other than being the epitome of the Philadelphia Eagle, <laughs> uh, Brent's just a great person. He's a great human being. Um, we're both from the Midwest, so I think that was one of the things that helped us click earlier. Um, and he's just a genuine human being, cares for people, and wants the right things to be done, and wants them done the right way. Um, yeah. All right. Your other quarterback, Mike Vick. Mike. Mike. Uh, 
I had no, I have nothing but great things to say about Mike. Um, Mike has been through, you know, through more than I could ever imagine dealing with. And I think he's come out um, shiny and bright with a, a great disposition on life and friendship and has a, a just a, an awesome outlook and is a, is a great person. Ray, anybody you want to add there? Terrell Owens. Ah. Terrell Owens. Dude, I don't have anything bad to say about T.O. Uh, doesn't interview well, I would say. <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess it depends on what kind of things you're looking for from the interview. Um, but I would say that he's like two different people. The people, the person that you see in the locker room and then uh, the person that you see on camera. Like, I I spent time with T.O. outside of the locker room, hanging out and stuff. I think he's, he's just a, a really nice dude. Um and then, uh, you know, I think that there's issues with, like, uh, superstardom, I guess. I've never reached a level of superstardom where I might have had issues with, like, uh, you know, uh, superstardom that butt up against somebody else's superstardom. Hmm. But I think that that's probably a real thing that people have to deal with, I guess. Right. Uh, and... Guy you blocked for, who I think I think just is a flat out superstar, is Brian Westbrook. Yep, Brian Westbrook. Uh, basically, all the things that you could say about Selleck, you could say about Westbrook. They're just great, genuine human beings. They care about each other. They care about their teammates. You know, they they got their priorities right. So you um, you played for Andy most of your years here, and then the transition comes from Andy to Chip Kelly. How was that for you? Um, good. You know, I mean, other than the fact that I got released two years later, but I think that had to do more with, uh, declining output on the field than anything else. At the time, I didn't think I was declining, you know, five years later, six years later, after being done playing football, I realized I was declining and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but the biggest transition with, with, Chip, I loved it. I thought he was trying to revolutionize the game. I love different things. I think that it worked. I think he was really smart. Um, you know, but I think a lot of coaches, especially guys that are kind of like pioneers and doing things new, can be a little arrogant. And I think that that was a little bit of his downfall. Um, but, yeah, I, I, a lot of people ask me about Chip because, you know, I was one of the guys that got released after – you know, right before his third year. And uh, like, I have no I have no qualms with anything that Chip did. He was just trying to do what he thought was best to get a, a championship, you know. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just, I don't know where I was going with that. But, yeah, I thought mm-hmm. Chip was a great dude. You know, Maybe I'm... not. Um, one thing that I guess I would say about Chip is I don't know if he was used to dealing with professional players yet. You know, I feel like he treated guys like college students at times a little bit. So um, I didn't know if that was something that got in the way of, you know, his success in the NFL. You left in 2014, uh, end up with the Colts for a few few games, doesn't really work out there. It is tough for any player to, you know, know that his career is over. And you said, you know, in some of it you didn't realize until years after. What is it like at the end of a career? Well, it's a lot like uh, it's a lot like the middle, 
it's not so much like the beginning um, because you don't realize it's the end. Uh, at least a lot of people don't. I'd say the majority don't. But, you know, I, I talk to people about this, and I say one of the things that um, that gets you to that level is, is your ego, you know, like telling you, that you're good enough to do it. And people don't know what they're talking about. The people that are telling you, you can't do it and stuff like that. And so it's this weird, it's this weird thing. You like have to dance around at the end of your career where you have people telling you that you can't do it. Your foot speed's too low. And then you go out and you work out and stuff and you're, you watch yourself on film and you're like convincing yourself that your foot speed's still up and you're fine. And you just gotta, you know, get your ankle right for a couple of weeks and then you, everything will be fine and stuff. But it's just, you know, you it's almost a sort of denial that you go through because you've, you've been in denial of anything that anybody would tell you your entire career, you know, because it's kind of what got you to that point is that mentality. Um, so that was, that was rough for me, you know, to, um, I had a good relationship with a couple of GMs and then like, you know, texting around and, and, trying to dig up some interest and have my agent do his work and stuff. It was just, it was tough to, to, to be in that position when, you know, I really would have, I, I felt like I didn't have the option to end it how I wanted to. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I would have loved to come back. Even if I didn't get cut out of Philadelphia, if somebody would have been like, Hey, you want to go try working somewhere else? Or do you want to just finish like a year here or what? Then it would probably have been a lot easier, but obviously they don't give anybody that option. Um, that's just what happened. You know, yeah. just when you, when you're done, they cut you, you don't think you're done. And then you're going to go prove to them that you're not done. And then it doesn't work out at other, other places for whatever reasons. And then you got to prove to everybody else like, Hey, wait, they weren't right. I'm still good. And so then you do, a mini camp, you go do a tryout in, in New Orleans. And then after they take the other guy that was at the tryout, you got to tell yourself, you got to have a, like a moment, you know, and you're like, well, maybe you're not ready to get back in there. Maybe it's time to hang it up. Yeah. It's been, it's been a while now that you've been out of the game. I just wonder, and each guy arrives at this moment differently with different emotions. But when you look back on it, what do you miss the most about playing football? And what do you miss the least? Yeah. Um, I just miss the camaraderie the most, um, the locker room. Uh, the things I miss the least, stressing about everything. <laughs> um, just always have something on the line. was also nice to, like, motivate you and get you through the week and stuff. But it's a, it's a big relief you know, to have Eagle Sunday coming up and not having any like thing to worry about or stress about for myself, <laughs> you know, I be, I can become a fan and worry and stress about um, whether they're going to let me down <laughs> or whether I, rather than whether I'm going to let somebody else down. Sure. Uh, that's probably what I miss the least, but yeah, football is probably falls somewhere in between there. Um, I, one thing that I've learned since I've been done with football is I don't really love football as much as I thought you would have to, to make it to this level. Um, probably why I'm not really dabbling in coaching or, or anything on that end. Um, I think I just really, 
And then somebody would say, well, what do you mean you don't love football? You played for so long, you have to love it a little bit. Well, I enjoy competing. I enjoy beating people. And I also enjoy proving people wrong. And I think more of my track was paved by trying to prove people wrong that said that I couldn't. I get that. Small college guy. Um, you haven't been in, in you have been involved in, in several interesting causes. Uh, I know you're involved with athletes who care, which tries to um help athletes, I think, on, on transitioning out and on health issues. And you were also um an advocate for the NFL dropping its ban on pot. Um, given that the alternative, which is painkillers or opioids, are very addictive and cause real problems. Even from when you started talking about that issue a, a couple of years ago, there seems to have been a lot of cultural change on that, a lot of recognition on that. Um, that must hearten you, that kind of people are moving on that. Yeah, I mean, totally. You know, I think some of these things uh, you can't deny the effects or the help that it has on some people um, just because it's harder to profit off of. Um, you know, it's, it's great to see that. It's really great to see the NFL, um, you know, take some money to uh, actually look into doing some research um, so that there's not all this just conjecture about, well, it worked for me, you know, type of stuff. Like let's actually get some data um Let's get some, some actual hard data to see how it can help these people sleep, how it can be a neuroprotectant, how it can help with pain management, stuff like that. Because, you know, there's a lot of different ways that it could fit into football, but not just that. I feel like the NFL is such a big machine that if they want to spearhead this whole thing, they could be a champion of this for the public, not just for NFL. You know, it, they could really open a lot of eyes if, if they choose to do it the appropriate way. Um, and so I think that that is probably the most heartwarming thing for me to see or to, to think of. Um, but at the start, you know, I mean, it, it's great to see this kind of progress and that's, that's what we call it. It's all progress. Um, it's a lot further along than where it was when I was playing. You know, I spent, I spent three years of my career or maybe even more, you know, two, three, four, five years of my career almost half of my career in the drug program for smoking weed. I mean, now to me, that's laughable. Uh, it didn't, didn't, you know, the only thing it really did negatively for me, I guess, was give me a, a couple of years where I, where I used pills a little more uh, and probably drank a little more alcohol. Um, but, you know, it didn't, I don't think it affected my playing career. I didn't get hooked on pills, thank God. So it didn't affect me down that way but i know that everybody else has their own experiences and as long as people are opening their eyes up to this um you know that's progress you know a couple of moments ago you were talking about um the thing you don't miss about football and you kind of alluded to the pressure of of what's involved with playing this game so i guess that you could probably relate to a little bit what Brandon Brooks went through, and then just this past year what Lane Johnson went through. Two guys that played your same position, two guys that played on the offensive line. You know, when both of those guys came out and needed to take a break and needed to take time away, a lot of people, average fans, just kind of shook their heads and said, how could that possibly be? You know, they understand that guys have to play through physical struggles, but the emotional stuff, the mental strain, I don't think people under, under really can really appreciate that. But you, having played in the league and actually played the same position, could probably understand perfectly well. Yeah, 
I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you know, there's people, I mean, you get both ends of it. You know, there's people that you can make so happy by your performance on the field and, and just, you know, like, I can't imagine some of these stories these guys are telling about the Super Bowl parade, like people pouring their grandparents' ashes into their hands and stuff, saying, you know, like, oh, this makes me, like, I can't imagine what kind of feeling that brings to you. But just talking to people in the city after we won a game, telling them how, like, how happy they were after we won a game and stuff, that was totally awesome. But also, you know, on the other end of that, people tell you how you're ruining their lives if you lose a game and you're like, bro, maybe you shouldn't put so much money on that football game, you know? So like that, I don't miss that at all. And I think that, you know, it's probably a big relief for um, Brandon to get away from that kind of stuff too, you know? Um, uh, But I would like to point out that this is, it's nothing new. Like people have felt like this for, you know, a long time it's just never really had the support or the culture to come out and talk about it and you know like um i imagine sean andrews would probably had would have would fit into this category with anxiety about you know if you guys remember sean's story no doubt all that stuff. i've thought about that a lot um, right yeah you know it's just <laughs> people call them crazy sean wasn't crazy sean was just dealing with a lot of stuff that maybe he wasn't prepared to deal with you know yeah. so yeah you know, everybody's, everybody's human. Everybody's got things they got to deal with. Um, and I think that that's just what people kind of got to keep in, in picture when they're getting upset or happy or elated about these games and these players and stuff. Well, Todd Harriman's let's close with this. Um, because you mentioned, um, you know, guys you knew on the team and what it meant, uh, to fans in this town and to players on the team when they won the Super Bowl. but you were part of the Eagles for a long time. What did it mean to you when this franchise finally won a Super Bowl? You've stuck around. You're still around. Well, it meant a lot, you know. Uh, It meant more – it was more of a feeling of pride for the fan base, the community, the city that so badly deserved to have that championship but just got so close so many times was just never able to capitalize on it. Um and then, you know, there's this whole level of how proud I can be for all the guys that I was teammates with um, that were actually on the team that won the Super Bowl. All the guys that didn't get a chance to win the Super Bowl that battled through all the years and stuff like that. There's a, there's a lot of layers to that. But, um, you know, just joy. I was just so happy. Um, my family and I were on vacation in Hawaii. and Actually, we, we flew back early so that we could go to the parade. Um, nice. Yeah, so it it wasn't just, you know, I've bought totally into Philadelphia. It's home for me. Um, I love the city. I love the people of the city. It's, uh, it's a special place. And um, sports, the sport culture, all the four-for-four fans and stuff, those are the people that, that, uh, that make it go around and make it so special. So, you know, that's why, that's why I'm raising my family here. That's why I'll bleed green until I die. Um, it's just something special about the city. Well, Love no better it. way, no better way for us to get out than that. Uh, Todd Harriman's, it's been a real pleasure hosting you today. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest. Uh, tell us your story, is sponsored pleasure, by. Guys. 
Thank you. Uh, tell us your story. Sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.